Good morning, Mission View Church. Hey, if you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, go with me to Mark 13. Uh, Mark, the 13th chapter. It was last July, and the weekend before, I had spent in New York City on a short-term excursion with people from Mission View Church going and helping one of our church partners in New York. And then the next week, my wife and, and Ethan and I, we drove down to the beach and then I told Brooke that the next weekend we needed to have a meeting at our house on Sunday night. And we were getting back from the beach at about midnight that morning, that Sunday morning. And I said, that night we need to have a meeting at our house and we need to provide everybody with dinner. And she looked at me like, you're out of your mind. You've been gone now three weekends in a row and we're going to be at the beach all week. Why, why are we doing this? What is going on? Why would you schedule a meeting this week? And this, this lasted for a couple days. I mean, for a couple days, she just kept asking me, why in the world would you schedule a meeting on this day? What are you thinking? Why would you do this to me? We're just getting back from the beach. And I didn't want to tell her that the reason we had a meeting was because it was her birthday and we were having a cookout for her. I just wanted to let her know not to schedule anything else for that day. And finally, on about Wednesday, when she just wouldn't let this go about why can't you cancel the meeting? Why can't you push it off another day? I finally, just in exasperation, looked at her and I said, Brooke, the meeting has to happen that day because the meeting is for you. It's for your birthday. And she's like, oh, I hate surprises. And I, Look, I'm the exact same way. I'm a guy that... I buy all my own Christmas gifts from her, all right? I put in the order, so you don't really need to wrap them. If you insist, sometimes I'll just wrap them myself when they get there. I'm not a big surprise guy. I like to know what's going on. So I can empathize with Brooke in that she doesn't really like the whole idea of surprises, doesn't really like the whole nature of that. And, and the nature of surprises is, is obviously this, that you're expecting things to go one way, and then they go a completely different direction. That's the whole nature, that's the whole foundation on which surprises are built. And this morning as we look in Mark chapter 13, what we're going to see are some incredible statements from Jesus. But they all begin with a surprise, and we find that here right off the bat in verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now this is the temple. This is the most glorious building in all of Jerusalem. And as they're leaving, the disciples remark on just the majesty and the splendor. Herod had, had rehab this building and they had spent number of years just working on it and it was a testament to Herod's wealth and it was a testament to the Jews hard work and they had just built on rehabbing the second temple and it was a glorious feat and it was the most magnificent building in all of Jerusalem and the disciples they comment on that and Jesus says they're going to be destroyed destruction is coming. That's the statement that Jesus makes. That's the prediction that Jesus has. Now, all kinds of predictions are made all the time. I'll take you back to January 27, 2010, on the same day that Apple announced the iPad. 
One commentator named Brian Persley said this, no one is going to want to buy a bigger version of their iPhone. They can buy a laptop if they want that. As of June of last year, over 200 million had been sold. Guess I was wrong on that one. Fantasy Football Magazine in May of 2014 said this about Johnny Manziel. Everything we know about him suggests he's Drew Brees with rushing ability, a Steve Young who's ready to play right away, a modern-day Fran Tarkington. It's not hyperbole to consider him one of the best prospects of all time. Oh, if only that were true. I will never get those five quarters of football out of my mind. Sometimes people make predictions about things that, that are a bit more serious, like the end of the world. The Mayans, they had a whole calendar, which proved wrong in 2012. And who can forget old Harold Camping, who not once but twice predicted the end of the world in 2011 alone. These are some quotes from old Harold. And now we have no option. We can't say maybe. It's possible. It looks very probable. No way. We have to say this is what the Bible teaches. This is fact. May 21st, 2011 is the day of the rapture. It is the day that judgment begins. Only to follow that up when it didn't happen with this statement. Thus, we must realize that October 21st, 2011 will be the final day of this earth's existence. So all kinds of people make all kinds of predictions. And here's what you need to know. Jesus is different. Jesus speaks with authority. And he starts this passage with the near, and then he goes from the near to that which is far. And this destruction that Jesus talks about would happen roughly 40 years later in 70 A.D. Josephus, a historian, he reported what happened in 70 A.D. when the, when the Romans invaded the city of Jerusalem and ransacked it. Josephus reports that 1.1 million Jews were killed and 97,000 more were taken into captivity in addition to the temple being destroyed. The temple that Jesus said roughly 40 years earlier would be destroyed to the point that not one stone would stand on top of the other. This is, of course, the site where the Dome of the Rocks stands today. So what we have to understand is this morning as we look at Mark chapter 13, some of which what Jesus had talked about has already been fulfilled. My interpretation of this is some of which Jesus has talked about has not already been fulfilled. And know this, that Jesus speaks with authority. Jesus is God. So his predictions are much different. Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Roughly 40 years later, 1.1 million Jews dead, 97,000 Jews taken into captivity, the temple, the most glorious building in all of Jerusalem, utterly destroyed. Jesus continues. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So they're looking at that which Jesus had just told them would be destroyed. And there's Peter, James, and John, three of his closest, the three clo who were closest to, to Jesus, and Andrew. 
Now, I think Andrew just figured out, wow, a lot of cool stuff's happening when Peter, James, and John are with Jesus. I'm just going to tag along. And so Andrew's the one here who, who, who just asked the question, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? When and what? These are the questions they ask. When will this happen, and what do we need to look for? And Jesus answers one of those questions. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumor of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. So let's unpack this. They ask, what are the signs? And, and Jesus gives them the signs. And here's what he says. There will be many. There will be many who will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. This is a call for discernment. This is a call for discernment. The most dangerous lies are cloaked in aspects of truth. There will be many who come who, who proclaim to be aligned with Jesus, some who even claim to be Jesus, which, spoiler alert, if somebody's like, hey, I'm Jesus, yeah, they're not, okay? So don't worry about them. That's the first step of discernment. That really shouldn't be that difficult if you're reading Scripture. If somebody's like, I'm God, you can be like, no, you're not. You're crazy. Okay, good talk. Maybe you should be institutionalized. And many people in institutions do claim to be Jesus. So just so you know, they're not either. So be discerning, all right? And if somebody's like, hey, I'm Jesus, you can throw that out right away. The more dangerous thing is when people come with, and they're cloaked in aspects of truth. Because what can happen is we can let our guard down. And what we need to do is we need to be discerning. We need to examine everything that somebody presents in light of the whole truth of Scripture. And the only way we can be discerning is if we understand and, and we know from which to compare it upon. Therefore, we have to be engaged in God's Word. It's a call for discernment. We must be discerning of the claims that people make. And the evidence with which we need to investigate their claims is the truth of Scripture. So, let me challenge you. Start of a new year, you made some goals, you're making some lifestyle choices, you've made it to the gym twice in the last week, congratulations, that's great. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do as well. If you don't already, have your, have your phone, have your tablet, download the Bible app. Alright, download the Bible app. There is an incredible resource. It's absolutely free. You have every translation of Scripture you could possibly want. So if you're into legalism, you want to go back to the original King James, have at it. If you're like, I don't understand anything in the King James, and you want to look at the message, that's great too. Here's what you do. You download the Bible app, and they're all there. And then you can select a whole, a whole wide array of plans. You can read the whole Bible in a month. You can read the whole Bible in three months. You can read the whole Bible in a year. You can read a verse a day. But get 
engaged in God's word. It doesn't cost you anything. And if, if you're not currently, then start small. Just start making it a daily practice to read a verse or two, to think on that verse, and to go from there. If that's where you've been for a while, then take it to the next step. Read a paragraph. Read a chapter a day. If you're there, then tackle one of those whole Bible in the year plans, but get engaged in God's word because it is key for us to have that as our starting point so that when we are faced with these questions, when we hear the claims of those, we can align those claims with scripture. And if they fit, if they align, then great. And if they don't, we need to be discerning and we need to cut that influence out of our life. So be discerning. Don't trust someone just because they identify themselves as a Christian, especially a politician or a salesman. All right. Don't trust somebody if they're quick to be like, oh, I'm a Christian. That's great. They're probably trying to sell you something. So just be discerning. Be discerning because many will come who will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumor of wars, do not be alarmed. Now, how in the world can, can Jesus tell us not to be alarmed when we hear of wars and rumor of wars, when war is part of our everyday life? And here in America, we are incredibly blessed to live in the country that we live in, and it doesn't matter where you fall on the political spectrum, we still are incredibly blessed to enjoy the, the luxuries that we have here in this country. But Sometimes without us even knowing it because we've kind of been winding down a couple conflicts and they haven't been on the, on the forefront of our minds as much anymore. But we can miss that roughly half a million people have died every single year since 1985 in wars. Roughly half a million people every single year since 1985 have died in wars. I mean, World War II saw roughly 73 million deaths alone in that period. So how can Jesus tell us to not fear when we hear about wars and rumor of wars when people are dying? These are very real problems. We'll answer that question a little bit later on. This must take place. But the end is not yet. So you have those who come who lead people astray. You have wars and you have constant rumors of wars. Jesus isn't done. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. So not only do we have those who, who are coming who are counterfeit, not only do we have wars and rumor of wars, but now we have natural disasters and famine to add to this list of wonderful things that is going to happen. Earthquakes and famines, I mean, we have whole scientific explanations for them. Some people attribute them to global warming. Other people attribute them to overpopulation. Some people combine both those things into one argument. We, we have all these reasons. We try all these things to explain these things away. But the reality is, as Jesus said, they are only going to increase. They are only going to get worse. These are but the beginning. Of birth pains. These are but the beginning of birth pains. And he goes on. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils. And you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake. 
bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And church, this is the truth of Scripture that we sometimes miss. This is the truth that we all must confront if we are really going to be Christ followers. And that is this. If we are going to follow Jesus, there will be persecution. If we are going to follow Jesus, there will be persecution. Jesus told his followers, don't be surprised. This world hated me. There will be persecution. They will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. See, when we're persecuted, it's about something bigger than us. Because following Jesus is about something bigger than us. Following Jesus is not about us. Following Jesus is about His glory. And whether that leads us to the courthouse, whether that leads us to jail, whether that leads us to being beaten or even put to death, following Jesus is not about us. It is primarily about God's glory. And here Jesus is telling them, don't be surprised when it happens. It's happening. And here's what else he tells them. Don't freak out when it happens. Because you don't have to defend you. I'll take care of that. You don't have to worry about what you're going to say. My spirit in you will speak. Oh, we have that promise when, when we stand and when we are persecuted. And I believe that promise extends to us when we talk. You want to share what Jesus has done in your life, the transformation he's made, but you don't really have all the answers. You don't know fully what to say. You don't know how to explain it to the skeptic. Don't worry about it. Allow the spirit that is alive with you, within you as a follower of Jesus to take over. You just be faithful. You just go to where God has called you to go. And for some of us, that's just a workplace. That's, that's, that's all that God's called us to to go. It's just to our workplace. It's just to be a vocal witness for him there. It's just to share the hope that we have as a result of what Jesus has done. But for some of us, he's called us to go different places. For some, it's across the world where governments aren't stable, where countries are teetering on the, on the brink of destruction, where terrorists are looking for Christians to kill. Jesus says, don't you worry. I'm in control. I've got this. And I will empower you.
That's the hope that we have. That's the promise that we have. Jesus told them as he moves from from the general that they would see, from the wars, the, the deceivers, earthquakes, famines, to the personal, he tells them, be on your guard. When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And then he continues. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. All right, everybody, just let's just lighten it up here for a minute, all right? Everybody just breathe in, breathe out. If you grew up with me, you're singing a bush song in your head right now. If you didn't grow up with me, you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's all right. Just just a deep breath. It just feels good, doesn't it? It's January 4th. Unless your family's crazy close, you're not getting together to celebrate Martin Luther King Day. So you are looking probably at least till Easter before all this family stuff comes back up. And you can just breathe. And it's not that you don't love your family. You do. But it's just Christmas at 18 houses And then Thanksgiving before that, and oh, it seems like there's always a birthday in there as well. It just feels good to be able for one week to look at the calendar and say, we don't have to go to Nana's house today. This is great. Now, it's not that you don't love your family. You do. But we're like, all right, enough's enough. Let's all just take a breath, and let's just get a little more space. Because if we don't, we're going to hate one another again, like we did when we were teenagers. We're just too much time. So let's just have, let's just have a little breather here, all right? Now, we all understand family tension. We all get it, unless your family's like crazy, and they just sweep everything under the rug. And then you get it, too. It's just really awkward, and everybody's scared to say something around everybody else. But then there's the opposite extreme that as soon as you walk in the door, you're letting them know that the new paint they put in their living room is nasty and the car they just bought was stupid. So, I mean, those are the, those are the obvious extremes here. But we all know about family tension and the holidays brings it out in everybody, certainly. And what Jesus is talking about here is family tension taken to a whole new level. And this is family tension based on somebody's decision to follow Jesus. And where this ends isn't in a ball of emotions and tears and slamming of doors or divorce. Where this ends is death. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And I just got to ask, are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing to see Jesus as more important than your family? 
Are you willing to see Jesus as more important than your own life? Might I suggest that that's what following Jesus is truly about. That you would give up everything to follow where He calls you to go. That is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now Jesus takes this from the immediate, from the personal, to my interpretation of the future. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, not enter his house, to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter. The abomination of desolation is referenced in Daniel's book in the Old Testament three times. It's about an event that will happen in, in the temple that is a greater sacrilege than as anything's occurred previously. And my interpretation, like I said, is this is a future event. This, did not, this was not fulfilled a couple hundred years before Jesus uh, when an emperor went in and slaughtered a pig on the table that they ushered in sacrifices. My interpretation is that this was not fulfilled in 70 AD. My interpretation of this is, is that this is an event that is to come probably during the midpoint of the tribulation. That's, that's my interpretation. And if, if you disagree, that, that's fine. But whatever this is, whenever this is, excuse me, this is a horrific event. To the point that Jesus says, let those who are on the housetop not go down. Just run. If you forgot, if you forgot your coat, don't turn back and get it. You just keep going. Oh, you don't want to be pregnant because you want to move. I don't even know what that's going to look like, really, but just pregnant women trying to run up a mountain, not a good, not a good look. And then you got women who are nursing infants, and, and just imagine trying to corral the infants as Jesus says, don't turn around, you just run, because destruction is coming. And, and then he continues, for in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. This is so incredibly ugly. The misery is like nothing that's ever been experienced before. That God in his mercy cuts it short. Otherwise, none be saved. 
Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there He is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect, but be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. So my interpretation is this happens three and a half years into a, into a period called the tribulation. I believe that believers will be gone at this point. Again, if you disagree with me, that's fine. But those who are here, this will be an incredible experience and misery like never before seen. And Jesus' message once again to his followers and to people is discern, discern, discern. Many will come in my name. They will even perform false signs and false miracles. This is where it gets incredibly difficult. Because we want to lend people credibility. When people tell us of incredible things that God has done, if it passes the eye test, we want to say, well, clearly God was at work. But we know that the eye test isn't enough from Jesus' words here. This is why knowledge of Scripture is so incredibly important. Because signs can be counterfeit. Experience can be counterfeit. And that's not me trying to beat somebody up in a spiritual event that's occurred in their life. Those are the words of Jesus. We must be people who discern. And the only way we can discern is if we know the heart of God. And the best way to know the heart of God is to read it in His revealed word to us. That's not how this ends. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send out the angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Understand, in the end, God wins. There will be a horrific, horrific time. But understand, in the end, God wins. And maybe you agree with me. And maybe you look at this and you say, no, you know what? I don't think we're going to be here. I don't think we're going to have to worry about this. What do we do with this passage? What do we do with this? What are our implications? How does this matter to us? And I want you to know the same thing's true. In the end, God wins. You might feel right now like your world is crashing now. You might feel like there's nowhere for you to go. Your career is in shambles. 
Your marriage is falling apart. Your friends have abandoned you. Take heart. Your story's not over. In the end, God wins. He wins the struggle against the evil one. He's victorious. He extends that victory to us as humanity. And he extends that victory to us personally as well. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. But what I know is that your story isn't over. It's not done. Just as in these darkest hours after the abomination of desolation occurs and Jesus says, not, hey, run into Jerusalem and try to convince people to follow me. He says, get out. Run for the mountains. Jesus will be victorious. So here we are. Here are the implications for us. As we start this new year, first, let's engage the heart of God. Get in His Word. Read Scripture. If this is a foreign concept to you, start small. And go from there. Engage the heart of God. That leads to discernment. That's step number one. Step number two is ask yourself the question, am I willing to give everything? Am I willing to give everything? That's what Jesus requires of me. And step three. Remember who wins. Remember who wins. Our story is not over when we die. Remember, he's in control. And when our world is collapsing on us, literally and figuratively, let's just run and with anticipation see that God is the victor. And in the end, He wins. God, thank you. for your love for us. Thank you for utilizing us for your glory. God, I pray that we would be people who discern. I pray we would be people who would follow you wherever you call us to go.
whatever you call us to do. And I pray, God, you would help us remember you win. So, God, I pray we'd give you our all. And I pray you would use it for your glory. In your son, Jesus' name we pray.